Welcome to the Who's Hooping Podcast, hosted by Sean Crow and Kari Williams, where we discuss all things UVA men's basketball. We look forward to breaking down the current team, what's to come in the future, as well as some of our favorite and toughest Wahoo moments. We plan to give you guys the content you love to hear, whether you're a diehard fan that's been around forever, or you just found out about the team this past week. So stick around, lay back, and listen to Two Average Guys tell you all about it. Hello and welcome back to Who's Hoopin'. This is Sean Crow, joined by my fellow co-host, Kari Williams. Kari, are we at season two? Is it episode 11? Episode 10. If I should get 11 at this point. But it's episode 10, sadly. 10. Gotcha. Yeah, man. Well, good to get back into it. Um, I, I think the last time we recorded, you were reminding me, it was right around the time of the Northeastern game. So it's been about a month. Um, unfortunately, it's not been the best stretch for UVA in that time. Uh, I think we're three and four since then. Um, and in particular, kind of the, the big theme, at least in my eyes, is on the high team of, you know, home versus road splits. Uh, we've, we've really struggled here on the road. So where, where are you at right now with things, Kari, with this team? Man, this, this past month has been really rough. Um, I know I personally said this team would go 15 and five in the ACC, not because I thought this team was going to be fantastic or anything special or crazy by any stretch of the imagination. I thought we had a chance to like win some winnable games, but I thought we had like a really cupcake ACC schedule to start things out. And we have found ways to not make that schedule look anything cupcake whatsoever. Still with games against UNC, Duke, other games like Forest at Clemson, at FSU, um, another game against NC State. Like the loss to Notre Dame really is the nail in the coffin for like a woof. This took a bad turn. Yeah, heart. I just. I mean, I agree with you on all that. Um, and yeah, I mean, going into it, I saw a lot of takes on Twitter and elsewhere that oh, you could see this UVA team start the year, you know, nine and one in ACC play because of that relatively easy to the start of the ACC schedule that you mentioned. Unfortunately, we're sitting here at two and three right now and 11 and five overall. So I think, I don't know our exact place in the ACC standings, but we're, we're probably about eighth or ninth right now. So definitely a lot of ground to make. Uh, It's still early, but uh, definitely not where we want to be at this point in the season. And unfortunately we're kind of, not even really in the, the bubble picture right now, I'd say. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, NC State and Wake Forest are no slouches, but if you're going to be a tournament team, you got to at least win one of those games. And, you know, I think most years we're, we're used to seeing UVA win those types of games. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And then to, for the ACC standings, we're currently tied for seventh with Virginia Tech, Clemson, and Syracuse. So it's a little bit comforting knowing that there's some talented teams that were still hanging around. But, I mean, one of these is not like the other. One of these is uh, Clemson's three losses at Miami by 13, at Virginia Tech by 15, and against UNC, who is currently top five in the nation. Um, if we go to um, – I mean, Syracuse just got the, like, their teeth kicked in by UNC, so I won't even look at their record. 
Um, but even like on Tech's case, like there are three losses that I call correctly. Yeah, so they have a loss. They have a close one to Florida State on the road. And they have a loss to Wake Forest on the road. And they lost by about the same amount we just did to Wake Forest. So um, they're honestly no worse or no better than we are. So it's it's a very uncomfortable spot to be in right now at this point of the season. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, so to kind of analyze, Kari, I mean, what do you think is is driving this drastic home and away split? I mean, right now we're at 9-0 and at home, so playing within the confines of JPJ has been no problem. But I think uh, it, it really – it all goes back to, to Fort Myers, you know. They had that good performance in Charlotte on a neutral site against Florida, and that I think kind of – made a lot of people optimistic about this season. But then with, with Fort Myers, I think most UVA fans thought, oh, that's that's going to be a blip in the radar. That was just a really bad stretch of two games. But unfortunately, that was really, at least to this point, a sign of what was to come with, with future um, games away from JPJ. So, I mean, what do you what do you attribute our, our road struggles to? It's not just that we're losing. I mean, we're getting blown out in every single road game we play right now. So looking at the schedule, honestly, we just might not be that good. Like you look at the home wins we've had, we've beat Tarleton State, we've beat NCAT, we beat NCA and T, we've beaten Texas Southern, we've beaten Syracuse, we've beaten North Carolina Central, we've barely beaten Northeastern. The only win at home that's looking good right now and not even that great still is Texas A and M. Because Texas A and M, until this win against Kentucky this past weekend, they had pretty heavily with their schedule thus far and i want to say if i'm checking bracketology right i feel like texas a&m they're probably like eight seed or lower right now if i had to guess let's see yeah so checking on uh who does it um joe lenardi lenardi has texas a&m as a nine seed so barely in the just in the field a little bit safe from bubble talk um, and then if I go over to CBS Sports with Jerry Palm, um, we have Texas A&M as well. resonate at the moment. And then Florida recently just creeped back into a Q1 victory. But even Florida, like they themselves, um, Florida right now doesn't appear to really be in anybody's bracketology or fighting for a spot right now. Um, so... Yeah, we don't have we just don't have good wins. This team may actually just be not that great, um, and we can talk about the actual individual performances there. But that's kind of my first thing. It's just we won some easy buy games, and then right now we're finding out that this just isn't that good of a team. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have not been that strong thus far. Um, I'd say for me, I don't, I don't fully agree. I don't fully disagree but I don't fully agree either I think uh Texas A&M that was a pretty impressive home win I mean I know they're not they're not a a top team but you know they're they're a physical hard coach team and then uh the Syracuse home win I know Syracuse isn't all that great but the way that we we won that game so handily and and the offense was humming that game I'm uh I've seen enough like encouraging signs at home to think that this team, you know, should be playing better than they are on the road. But uh, for, for me, it's like, it's easy to attribute it to it being a a relatively young team, you know, Reese Beekman, Ryan Dunn, Isaac McNeely being the only 
three main returners from last year. This is definitely a, a younger team than we're, than we're used to. Uh, but that being said, you know, normally UVA teams come prepared even when they, even when they are a bit younger, like thinking back to obviously uh, Todd Jerome, Kyle Guy. Uh, I'm not going to compare our current roster to that talent level, but, but it just seems like we're not maybe mentally tough or I, I can't quite, you know, attribute it to anything in particular, but it's definitely been disappointing and puzzling thus far. Yeah, it's definitely – it's been a tough little stretch for the team. And honestly, Sean, uh, a wild stat that you may not love to hear, but going back – so we'll – since our last podcast, just wanted to give some numbers since we last talked about this. Um, so I went to barttorvik.com. For those that are not familiar with Bart Torvik, um, more computer numbers. If you're, if you're a computer number lover, great site. If you're someone that's more – I don't like to see all these extra computer stats – I would stay far and away from it. Um, I don't subscribe to either or, kind of just an extra little fun piece to have in as a data point. But uh, what's crazy is that, Sean, we right now, if I sorted the data for when um, the 15th of December was to today, UVA right now is ranked the 223rd best team in the country by computer metrics. That is lower than Notre Dame, and that is lower than Louisville. So right now, according to Bart Torvik, since the midpoint of December, we are the worst team in the ACC, and we are in the bottom third of Division One basketball. Yeah, numbers don't lie. I mean, it certainly has felt like we've been playing like one of the worst teams in the ACC in that in that stretch. But uh, but yeah, yeah, a lot of season ahead of us. So I mean, hopefully they can. Hopefully they can turn the page here sooner rather than later. Yeah. Do you think any of this is really from losing Dante Harris? Um, I'm not saying that he's our best player by any stretch of an imagination, but I mean, that's one of the things that's noticeable. Like we haven't really been playing well since losing Dante Harris. Um, we obviously burned Elijah Gertrude's red shirt. And we said that in some positive ways, how that was pretty cool to see how it was used, but Honestly, like it seems like I I can't really figure out what the difference is, but it does feel like this team has changed drastically since his injury. Yeah, but I, I for me, I don't really buy that as like a, a main driver of the performance. I mean, Dante Harris was you know playing twenty-ish minutes per game off the bench, but it, it's hard for me to put too much stock in that. I, I think that's just a coincidence. Yeah. So a couple fun questions for me at this point in the season. The first one I have for you, Sean, is what are your thoughts on the small ball five experience? Looking back at it historically, you have UVA accustomed to having Mike Toby and Akil Mitchell. You've had teams where you've had Mamadi Diakite and Jack Salt playing alongside each other. Um, you've had those be successful teams that have gotten pretty far in the tournament but we've seen some more of this small ball rotation where it seems like we've struggled. Um, I guess you kind of can quantify Jay Huff as a stretch five, but he still was a rim. He still had some rim presence to him, but it feels like we just, this small five experiment has not worked well for us. And I'm glad we switched over to Jordan minor to start this past game, just to give us a different look. But it feels like, although Jay gross has been playing decently well, um, us having a stretch at the five just is not how UVA is going to find success this season and probably not any season in the near future. 
Yeah, I would say that I'm not really much of a fan of it. I think uh, the stretch four has proven to be really successful for UVA teams in recent years, but normally the stretch four is complemented by a really solid, you know, rim protector or, uh, you know, versatile big man defender. And I really do think that that's been a key limitation of this year's team. I know there's a lot of varying opinions out there about Caden Shedrick and kind of his topsy-turvy tumultuous UVA career. But uh, at this point in the year, I'm kind of of the opinion that this team would be a lot better off if we had a Caden Shedrick on our, on our roster. Um, Blake Buchanan, I think in, in time is going to be a good player, but unfortunately for this year, it's kind of, seemed that that Florida game was uh, a bit of an outlier in the positive direction. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just doesn't seem quite right. Re- and, and I'm, I'm still, I'm still high on him for his outlook and his, his future here, but I just don't think a, a freshman big man can be counted on to be like our, our one true big man. So it was nice to see Jordan Miner get a chance at Wake Forest uh, the, the word was that he was looking better in practice, so maybe we'll start to see a little more of him. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't really love seeing Jake Groves out there playing the five position. So, hopefully, we can find some ways to adjust and get it all figured out. But I'm taking a look back at our 2016 2017 season. This is the team that went um, 23 and 11, just to see if there's any similarities. It felt like that was a year where we were. Uh, I don't want to say like talent. I mean, no, you already talked about them. That's a team that had Kyle Guy as a freshman and Ty Jerome as a freshman. I'm looking at it and there's six NBA logos next to a lot of these guys. And then some of them are HC defensive players of the years and really strong players. So, uh, dude, it's, it's a tough situation to be in. But so the next question I wanted to ask you, do we owe Kihei Clark an apology? Not saying this pod um, in general, since we have been stout uh, Kihei Clark supporters, or at least I know I have been, but obviously um, his play has been a hot topic in the UVA sphere for quite some time. Uh, but right now, I mean, it seems like I would take Kihei Clark back in a heartbeat. It feels like that kid always found a way to win games and will us to um, some really successful positions. Then you look at the track record and there's a lot more success and a lot more victory in what this current team's seeing. So it does feel like, although we've been clamoring and people have been excited for a Reese Beatman only backcourt, uh, I kind of miss the old regime. But what are your thoughts, Sean? I would say yes and no. Uh, yes, in the sense that totally agree with you about his his leadership being invaluable, his his pesky on ball defense, um, and, and yeah, just his his you know he's one he's probably the winningest player in UVA history maybe throughout the the span of his career. Um, definitely probably won the most number of games by the fact that he played that fifth year. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, yes and no, because at the same time, um, I, I still don't really know how I feel about the, the two point card, uh, lineup and, and backcourt. So I have enjoyed kind of having one floor general out there at, at a time, um, but but yeah, that being said, there's been uh, there's been some shortcomings uh, on the wing this year. I'd say um, just not really getting quite what we needed from from guys like Andrew Rohde at this point in the year. Yeah. All right. And the final rapid fire question I have for you, Sean, is 
Do you think Reese Beekman has played his way out of the draft at this point? Not saying he can't play his way back into it, but has he played his way out of NBA draft radars? The reason why I ask this, even though Reese Beekman is our leading scorer and his points are up, it wasn't necessarily his scoring that needed to improve. It seemed like what would be really great for his potential stock was going to be displaying a more consistent three-point shot, and that is that has gone in the wrong direction. It feels like the field goal percentage, I'm trying to pull those up right now. He's showing a really good willingness and ability to score the basketball, but it feels like it hasn't been the leap that we may have been expecting or that he may have been expecting for his draft prospects. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, like right now, I feel like he's probably right on that fringe of of late second rounder. Like, it, it's definitely kind of a 50-50 proposition, it seems, at this point, of if he'll get drafted or not. And I think um, going into the year, I, I think we saw most uh, draft boards had him, like, late first round, or at least that was the – that was kind of the, the vision, right, for him returning was because – at the end of last year, he was kind of right in that that second round, like mid to late second round territory. And the thought was by coming back a year, hopefully he could improve his standing to be a, a first rounder. And I think he's had a good year. Um, he's been a lot more assertive. Uh, he's hunting his shot a lot more, which I'd like to see. Um, he's shooting free throws at a, at a solid rate. Um, and he's shooting his two pointers at a, at a good percentage as well. But you're right that the uh, the three point shot, um, you know, he's at 29 percent right now. It it almost feels to me like he's shooting a little bit better than that. But 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 numbers don't lie. Um, so I would say he. I don't know if I'd say he's played his way out of the draft, but he hasn't really um, improved in the area that NBA scouts would have most wanted to see him improve upon. But but yeah, that's kind of how I'd answer that question. That's fair. And I will give him some credit that the numbers, although telling, can be skewed pretty easily. Um, let's say if I take three of those misses and make those makes, he then goes to 16 out of 45 for the season. And that'd be one three a game. And if he shot 16 out of 45, that'll put him at 35 and a half percent. So he's taken an amount where it can be changed pretty quickly, in my opinion a couple two for threes or two for four games down the stretch. And you could see that three point percentage increase pretty quickly. Um, so that has been something that I would like to, that I think can be um, turned around for the better. Uh, his turnover numbers are similar, but his assist numbers are up. His rebounding stayed consistent, more steals. Um, he's been really good on defense. I feel like his defense has been really good. Um, the Wake Forest game felt like an anomaly. Um more or less, Ryan Dunn and Reese Beekman have been elite defenders. The Wake Forest game, they got absolutely just torched, in my opinion. Um, seemed like it was a tough – it was tough for them to stay on Miller. Miller had some good shots against both of them. Um, we had a lot of mental lapses in terms of out-of-bounds underneath plays. Uh, but besides that, they've been pretty solid from a defensive standpoint, in my opinion, throughout the year. Yeah, I would agree for the most part. Um Ryan Dunn, to me, has been a little disappointing defensively in the past couple games, like the past two or three, I'd say. But definitely all in all, he's he's had a really strong defensive year. But there were just some lapses recently. But, but yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I guess one question I have for you, Kari, so kind of thinking about the season so far compared to our predictions and whatnot, 
we've definitely seen, I think at the beginning of the year, I might've said that I thought our, our ceiling was either sweet 16 or elite eight. And I think, um, I, I forget what I said for my floor, but I think at worst, I thought we would be like a, a very low seed in the tournament. But right now, unfortunately, we're kind of not even in the bubble. So I, I want to ask the question, if we're going to get, if we're going to make the NCAA tournament, what needs to change? Ooh. Well, first and foremost, our resume needs to change. Um, the net rankings currently have us sitting at 63. That would be on the outside looking in. We have one quad one victory, and that's Florida on a neutral. Florida right now is ranked 49th. So a couple games get played today, a couple games get played tomorrow. We could lose that Q, we could lose that Q1 victory pretty easily. Um, so that's one thing that we're holding on to right now is we have a pretty weak resume. And Texas A&M might find a way to get back in there. They're sitting at 41. They need to really go on a strong run in the SEC for that to come back to Q1. But besides that, those are our only two real hopes for quad one victories at the moment. So we need to go on some – we honestly need to win a lot of games. So let's play this out. If I did, if I did this based on our predictions for losses that could still occur, I still have us losing to at Clemson against Miami – I have us losing the UNC and I have us losing at Duke. That's four more losses that we would take. And just for those listening, that is not my current prediction. These are based off of me and Sean's original predictions at the very beginning of the season. If I gave us those four losses, Sean, that would put us at a record of 11 and nine. Throw some wins in there. So it'd be nine losses. And by the end of the season, that would put us at 22 wins. Those wins would be against Virginia Tech. Georgia Tech, NC State, Louisville, Notre Dame, FSU, Pitt, Wake Forest, at Virginia Tech. Really, it comes down to, I feel like, that Wake Forest and at Virginia Tech game for me. If those are wins, then you probably do have a decently solid resume. Tech might be a Q1 opportunity. Wake Forest might be Q2. You win some of these games like at FSU, which is starting to be a bit better um, at Boston College. You pick up some Q2s and you're probably going to have a pretty decent bubble resume. But, man, like it's, it's going to take some big victories. Either that Clemson game, that Miami game, that UNC game, that Duke game. They're going to need to find a really important win somewhere here in order to make this an actual right side of the bubble and not be sweating it out on Selection Sunday. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, for me, when I think about it, there's a few things that need to happen. Number one is they need to start winning some road games in particular. I think uh, every year, Selection Sunday, uh, when they talk about, like, bubble teams and who who they made or who they selected for the field versus who they left out, one of the things they always mention is showing the ability to win away from the road – or, sorry, away from home. Um, and in particular, there's – there's some games against teams that we should uh, be able to beat that we're just going to have to win on the road. So Georgia Tech, Louisville, um, and Boston College in particular, I, I think UVA is going to need to go 3-0 and in those games. We kind of have had enough bad losses at this point in the year where you really can't afford any of those three to be a loss. So I think we need to win all three of those games. Um, and then they're going to need to win, you know – maybe one of UNC and Duke, uh, they're going to have to beat Miami at home and then beating Clemson on the road would also help a lot. So I think, 
just thinking about it right now, we're two and three in the ACC. I had us like going 13 and seven. I feel like we might need to end up about 13 and seven to, to, to make the field at this point. So we might be looking at needing an 11 and four type finish to the regular season. Yeah. Looking at that. So we play Virginia tech on Wednesday and we played Georgia tech on Saturday. Sean, do you think by the end of this weekend, it's fair to say that if UVA loses one or worst case, both of those games, it's fair to say that come Sunday, this is going to be a team that's probably looking on the outside of the bubble. I think if they lose both of these games, that's probably enough to put a nail in the coffin where you would have four ACC losses at that point before you get to the juggernaut point of the schedule. Now, if we turned it around and ran the table, you obviously are looking at a just wild range of a resume and wins, but um, just being a little bit pessimistic here, it feels like this upcoming week is make or break for the season. Yeah, it's definitely a big week. I mean, Virginia Tech, especially knowing that we still have to play there away, and that tends to be a venue that, I mean, I'm kind of struggling to remember the last time we won at Tech. Like, it it kind of feels like we lose in Castle Coliseum every year. So you really need to take care of business in the home game, especially because Virginia Tech's at a very similar uh, standing at this point in the year. I think their net ranking and their Ken Palm rate ranking is right around ours. Uh, so definitely need to win that game. And then Georgia Tech, I mean, we, we just have to start winning some road games. And, and I think – you know, it really needs to happen sooner rather than later. If they lose to Georgia Tech, I mean, I'm not going to say that we're done for sure, but it, it just it's just a game we have to win, though, at the same time. Let's put it this way. If we had to, like, chalk this up to things that we know, like let's say it's school. We usually had about two midterms and you had a final. It feels like if we lose, like we had our first midterm in our first half of the year and we took that loss to Notre Dame, that was getting like a D or an F on a midterm. Losing at Georgia Tech this upcoming weekend, it's been some games, been a few days. Feels like that would be another opportunity for us to get a bad midterm grade. And then you're basically putting that final juggernaut stretch as your final. It's uh, I forgot what they called it for our econ class, but that last Dutch knockout. Moment, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that stretch is going to be our Dutch knockout. If you can win that entire stretch and just absolutely crush teams like Clemson, Wake Forest, UNC, Duke, at Tech, if you can go through that stretch and come out unscathed, that is your Dutch knockout right there. That'll go from UVA on the outside looking in to UVA probably getting a top six seed um, if you pick up like a unscathed back half of the ACC schedule. Yep. Yeah, no, I definitely agreed. All right. So let's talk about the players a little bit, and then we'll switch over to just some other fun subjects around this. Um, it feels like Rody's been catching a lot of heat recently. Miner's been getting into the game. I know I've been a little critical about Jake Grove's ability to get rebounds, um, but we also have everyone clamoring for Elijah Gertrude to play more. So let's start, actually let's start with Gertrude. Sean, what are your thoughts on a lot of the calls for Gertrude to play more? Yeah, I mean, I do think he should be getting minutes. That being said, the games that we're losing, I don't think that his presence in the game would be enough to to turn the tide in our favor. Um, I mean, the the way we've been losing these games it, on the road, it's been like fifteen plus point uh, losses every every game. So, I mean, 
I'd like to see Elijah Gertrude get minutes, but do I think he would do enough to to make up for 15 points? No. So, I mean, hopefully he can can start to get some minutes, but but he's you know he's still a freshman, very inexperienced. So I would temper expectations a little bit with what we're asking of him for this year. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, he honestly kind of reminds me of Casey Marcel's freshman year at UVA. Um, the minutes obviously do not reflect what Casey Marcel was getting. And then also Casey Marcel, I believe, was a bit more higher, like more highly touted coming out of high school. But in terms of percentages, so Casey Marcel, as, his, as a freshman, did shoot 27 point, So basically 28% from the field and uh, basically 18% from the three-point line. Elijah Gertrude doing much better from inside the paint at 39.5%, but then only shooting 9% from three. Um, negative assist to turnover ratio, but it's nine turnovers to five assists for the season. Um, 3.8 points a game. Yeah, I mean, I think there's that tough balance of having to help freshmen grow and learn, but at, at whose expense is it going to be? Um, you can't really – I don't think it's worth taking less minutes from Reese Beekman. Um, honestly, it could be worth taking some minutes from Isaac Neely. I don't think he's actually been that excellent recently. I think he came off and had a really, really hot stretch to start the year but has struggled a bit in some of the more recent games. Um, I do feel like – and you do have some outliers, like the Wake Forest game – sorry, the NC State game, the Louisville game, um, definitely were some good performances. But outside of, like, a few pops and hot moments, we've got a three for 12. We've got a one for eight against Memphis. We've got a two for seven, a two for seven. We've got a two for ten. Um, it almost feels like he's an elite shooter – but he might need to start getting closer to that streaky label um, that unfortunately seems like it could be accurate. We got some six for 10 from behind the arc. We also have an 0 for two and 0 for five, some one for three, some two for sixes. He's just still like good. He's still a good player, but yeah, I just feel like I would love to have it spread out a bit more. Kind of like you can, if I could take that Florida game, although it would probably mean a loss for us, if I could just spread out some of those performances and just improve upon each individual game, I would love to see that. Yeah, um, going back to the Gertrude thing, it it will be interesting. Uh, Dante Harris, I think, is close to coming back from injury, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when when he's back and if Harris plays as many minutes as he did before the injury, or if that load is kind of split between those two players. Or yeah, so so that'll be something to follow here in the in the coming games. I'll talk about taking Tane's minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that we haven't really talked about that, but yeah, Tane has kind of worked his way into the rotation and honestly, I've I've liked what I've seen from Tane Murray. I I know you made that tweet, but I I really like uh I feel like the ball moves when it goes through him. Like he he has really good vision out there. He's shooting a pretty respectable percentage. Um not on the highest volume, but but yeah, I I've liked seeing Tane Murray work his way into the rotation. Dan Murray's that guy, in my opinion, that coaches like because you know what you're getting and you can trust what you're getting. Um, it's a tough part about basketball where sometimes players can be really excellent as individuals, but does that mean you trust them? Um, you can go be an all-conference player at times and go be an elite scorer. Actually, all-conference is unfair. You can be a high-point scorer and have some really great pops, but you can have some pretty bad lows. 
And when it's a tight game and I don't know what I'm going to get sometimes, it's hard not to want to go with what you know and can trust when you are trying to get some of these victories. So I don't envy the position that Tony Bennett's in having to deal with all these guards. And I know, Sean, me and you, we did our exercise for like who's going to play and what the roster is going to look like. Like talking about the backcourt was probably the toughest position to figure out where are we going to make all these minutes fit and work. So it's a tough little spot to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So speaking of Twitter sphere and Twitterverse, um, to me, I always – I love being a UVA fan. I love what everyone has to say. It's fun in the community that you get to be a part of. It's been interesting watching the swing of how people have changed on this team. I'm not saying everyone's gone from, like, this is the greatest team of all time. They're going to be national championship winners. I don't think I ever saw anything that high of them. But people are pretty disappointed from what it seems like. But ironically, it felt like this summer – everyone really thought this team was going to be drastically better than last year's team. And I still don't necessarily understand where a lot of that came from. And this year it's been more of like, Oh, they're young. They're inexperienced. Like this is what should be happening. But all summer, I feel like I kept hearing about, we have more ESPN top 100 guys. We have these transfers. It's going to work out. They're going to be great in the rotation. It's going to be awesome. A lot of us playing armchair expert and, Right now, at this point in the season, we had a team last year that was um, looking at potentially a one versus two matchup against Houston um, in the last week of December versus a team right now this year, just coming out of December, where we're hoping to make the tournament. Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, we have a lot of high ceiling guys, but almost everyone on the team is so young. I mean, you've got and then the the guys that are old, I mean, the only one who's been in the program is Reese Beekman. Other than that, it's a bunch of transfers. I think what I would say is in hindsight, you would have to say that the transfer additions have underwhelmed a bit. I mean, we were definitely expecting Miner to be a, a starter and he hasn't really even been a role player to this point. That could be changing based on what we saw in Wake Forest, but we'll have to see there. I think Jake Groves has probably been, um, probably the best of the transfers at this point. He's probably been exactly what we thought he would be and hoped he would be. He's shooting pretty well. Um, he's playing the stretch four well. I think at times he's been used a little in a defensive position that has not been great. But um, And then, yeah, Andrew Rohde. Um, definitely I was really excited about him, and I still think he can have a good good career, but – I think maybe some UVA fans might have, probably myself included, have uh, underestimated the jump in competition level. And you could probably say the same about uh, minor, but going from St. Thomas in the Summit League to Power 5 UVA ACC basketball, um, I think those might have been a few things that could be contributing to what you're saying, Kari, where the fans in the offseason, you know, they might have looked at Andrew Rohde and said, oh, 17 points per game, Summit League freshman of the year, like first team all Summit League or whatever he was. And then same with uh, Jordan Minor being, you know, NEC defensive player of the year and co overall NEC player of the year. I think uh, the transfer up in competition might have been something that I'm not sure Tony Bennett maybe – I don't know if he overlooked it, but maybe fans did. Um, and then I think there's a lot of guys with high ceilings that I think in time will get there. But uh, it's kind of a, a collective growing year. And I think you could look 
no further than Ryan Dunn is, you know, example A of that. A, a guy who has definite NBA potential, who we expect to see in the NBA sooner rather than later. But, you know, offensively definitely been a work in progress. Not really shown any kind of three-point jump shot. Uh, free throws have been, you know, pretty underwhelming at 59, 60%. So I, I think, uh, yeah, the, the transfers and Ryan Dunn um, have kind of shown what, what I, I think you're alluding to, where maybe going into the year fans were expecting big things. And I, I think those players have it in them. But, but yeah, just been more growing pains than maybe fans would have expected. Yeah. And to be honest, like, I don't know. If you told me Rody was averaging 17 points for a school called St. Thomas, Minnesota, I feel like that should have been a glaring red flag of, like, this guy's not going to come in and score 17 points at UVA. Honestly, no one really even scores 17 points at UVA in general. If I went back and look at Kyle Guy and, like, Ty Jerome stats, I can't think of the last time someone got to 17. I don't even think Malcolm Brogdon ever got to 17 points a game. So that was already going to be out of the question. Um, I actually do like what Rody brings to the team. And I actually think the way he plays in our offense, like if you watch the way he navigates off of screens and the way he plays in the sides offense, I think it's actually really fantastic the way he navigates it. Now, could he convert more shots and be better about the way he shoots it? Yes, um, that'd be great. And I actually answered my question. So Malcolm Brogdon averaged 18.2 points a game for UVA in his final year, um, which is really a lot of points to score at UVA. But it just feels like he plays in the offense pretty decently well. Um, yeah, it feels like the defense. The defense has not been what I expected it to be. We, we're not holding teams in the way I thought we would. We're struggling to score. I know there was a lot of complaints about the amount of mid-range jump shots we took. But it's almost like, in my opinion, that's kind of what the sides offense is meant to do. Like, if you're not getting mid-range jump shots and not hitting them in sides, I mean, it's kind of like what the – like, if you're curling all these screens, and that's kind of what the offense is – giving to you as a scheme, you're going to end up with a lot more mid-range jump shots. If we wanted more threes, we need to go higher NATO to tell Tony Bennett we'll see you later and we'll get a three-based offense. But with mover blocker, just with the way we come off of those pin downs, rolling off of them, trying to hit the ducks and rolls, we don't have as many layups or dunks at the rim. So I don't think we have that athletic big man and Jake Groves is just not a good inside presence. And then we don't have a three-point shooter in Ryan Dunn that's going to really flare some of those screens. And then Rody's not that elite of a shooter as well too so you're going to end up with a lot of mid-range guys curling and having to set up the pull-ups so yeah it's just the way it's constructed it's it's a tough product to watch but i think if a few things tinker and fix it should work out once again i think this is a decent team but they're just not that great in my opinion they're not that good of a team this year and the 15 and 5 i gave them was solely based off of i thought we had a very cupcake acc schedule and we have not lived up to how cupcake i thought it was going to be in the upper half so that's where I went wrong. Yeah, I, I feel you. Um, there's a lot of basketball left to play. So, I mean, hopefully this is a team that I have been of the opinion that they might start rough, but hopefully get a lot better as the year goes on. We're about halfway through the season. So hopefully this team's story is kind of kind of still yet to be told. But, but yeah, yeah it'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, Sean. Well, to close it out then, one quick question what happens in march with this team are they there and how far do they go and if they aren't there where do they end up yeah uh, i mean 
it's it's hard to say, you know, like I don't don't want to say it, but I think if I had to answer that today, I'd probably say this is going to be an NIT team and probably a team that is not really like a, a top seed in the NIT, like probably like a four or a five seed in the NIT. So I think as of right now, that's just what I would have to say. They're probably about maybe 10 to 12 spots on the wrong side of the bubble right now. So that definitely if they improve, they could, they could get there. And I, I certainly hope they do. Tony Bennett normally figures things out. So I'm going to, going to hope that that happens, but just answering as of today, I would have to say we're looking at maybe like a, a second round NIT type, type uh, ending to the year. All right. So you're fully hitting the panic button. Well, I, well, I, I wouldn't really say I am though, because I, I do think we have the ability to to turn this around, but I'm just answering as of where I'm at today. Got it. All right. So the way I would describe it, the panic button's in a glass case and the case is lifted. The panic button is now exposed and can be pushed, but there's a chance for the glass casing to go back over top of the button. Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're playing deal or no deal. And uh, the banker just gave us an offer that we – we don't really want to accept. So we're hoping that we can, can play through it and, and get a better offer. Oh man, deal or no deal, all time great <laughs> game. But if I, I mean, I don't think I'm at, I don't think I'm at NIT just yet or NIT third or fourth seed just yet. I will say that this team is going into selection Sunday, very uncomfortable just on the inside of the bubble. This team will not make the bubble if there are any bid steals. And then also, it depends on what the bottom half of the SEC, Big 12, and Big East are going to do. We have squandered our Q1 opportunities up until this point. We are not going to get many cracks at it. Um, This is not UCF where you get to go play Kansas twice and you get to go play... Um, Houston twice and everyone else are going to get numerous cracks to build a resume. No matter how many games you lose, you'll still be able to build a tournament resume. We don't have that luxury. So right now I think we are going to be just inside the bubble because we'll get it together a little bit, but that bubble could shrink very, very quickly. And if it does shrink, we are going to be unhappy come selection Sunday. Well, let's hope you're right, Kari. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're right and I'm wrong. Unfortunately, according to the season predictions, at this point, you are right. Uh, once again, for those keeping tabs at home, Sean is 12-4 and four on the year for his um, game predictions. I'm sitting at 11-5, and five, uh, as well as the UVA team record. But with that, Sean, you want to close this out? Yeah, sure. Thanks for listening. Um, as Kari always says, definitely feel free to uh, subscribe, like, uh, give us any reviews, any any topics you want to hear, DM us. Uh, any constructive feedback, we welcome that as well. But, but with that, go Hoos and talk next time. Go Hoos. Thanks for listening, everyone.